Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One, but also the TSN Racing Pod. If you don't recognize my voice, my name is Mark Hamilton. I am co-host, co-producer of the Skidaria F1 podcast. I am sitting down today with the one, the only... The one and only, the myth, the legend, Mr. Tim Haraney of TSN and, of course, the TSN Racing Pod. We both had late nights and we were basically sharing war stories a couple of minutes ago. I don't think you got into bed until 6.30 a.m. following the Japanese Grand Prix, which is much worse than me. But how are you doing? A couple hours you've been up now. Yeah, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I was up till try, trying to like calculate how many hours I have been up with only a little break in between. So it's been about 24 hours. So I had, was up until 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m. for the qualifying. Slept until 12. All of this is on Eastern time. Slept until 12 p.m. And then went to Sports Center, went into TSN to do Sports Center at around 11 p.m. And then was there until two quarter to six in the morning. And then got home at 6.30 and slept for three hours. Got up because I had to do uh, Kevin Clark's uh, The Ringer F1 show. And uh, then quickly jumped over to our show now. And so it's been, <laughs> man, it's been like a world. I honestly, like, I'm just going on caffeine right now, brother. It's just, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of like one of those things where, sure, you know, I'll do it once a year. I'm not going to do it more than that, though. It's, it's tough, dude. And the older you get, the harder it gets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's funny because you and I made the conscious decision not to stream this podcast live with video to the world because I admittedly look like a disheveled wreck. And I at least got six hours of sleep last night compared oh, compared to your three. Bloodshot. Oh, it's, it's not just, good, man. And oh, I've never yeah. seen you wear it's glasses. Not. And I think it's to disguise oh, yeah. how red your how red your eyes are. But man, you know, I, I'll, I'll share this because I, I think your experience may have been a little bit different, but I slogged it out and I waited until basically I turned off the broadcast the minute that Nicholas Latifi, the Canadian driver, he's got four races left in his Formula One career, but I waited until he crossed the finish line because I needed to see him score those points. And I'm like, I'm done. And when I woke up this morning, I had this I had this weird burning sensation that something had happened after I went to bed. And of course, I opened social media and discover that Max Verstappen is a Formula One world champion, a two times Formula One world champion. And of course, I had to go back and try to understand how that happened. Did you, I'm, I'm guessing you were probably a little bit more diligent, but did you stay up and wait until he got to that cool down room moment? Brother, I, I, I was up until like... <laughs> uh, past the press conference interviews 
Uh, the whole thing, man, I've gone through the whole thing. I've only had like a couple hours of sleep here. So we, as soon as the race, as soon as the checkered flag hit, we were getting ready to discuss topics on SportsCenter because we had to tape and uh, get it to air uh, so we, we could get it into the, uh, the loop so it would be fresh news content. And so we were discussing in the newsroom, like, okay, which direction do we want to go? We started talking about the Pierre Gasly um, recovery vehicle incident. Then we started to play off of topics off of that. And then, you know, I was saying, well, we don't really know what's going to happen with Charles Leclerc here. So we should talk about that. But then they were like, yeah, but we don't know how long it's going to take the FIA to rule on it. I was like, good point. And as soon as those, as soon as those words came out of our producer's mouth, Leclerc got slapped with, you know, five second time penalty, which we'll get into. <laughs> and... Yeah. Then all of a sudden, this big banner comes across the television. It's like, and Max Verstappen is the 2022 Formula One World Champion. And we're all just like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> like we're just like, what's going on? Like, we were like getting ready to go to air. So then we had to change everything. It was, it was chaotic. And we, I'm glad we were somewhat, we were, we were prepared to handle it if it, if it came up, but we didn't think it was like we didn't none of us thought that he was going to be winning and considering the fact that the way we understood the rules you know in the moment we were all just like hold on a second here but then once uh we did some digging we we eventually found out that yeah okay we get it why he's why he's the champion and let's go to air so did that left and did all the press conference stuff dude and then drove my drove home and got a couple hours of rest here we go I'm very, very, very happy. I'm very happy you're here, and I'm glad that uh, though you might be running on fumes, you've been warmed up because, of course, you were with Kevin Clark doing the Ringer podcast. But let's go back to that because, you know, I was sitting there, and I was alternating between the Sky Sports feed and the F1 TV Pro feed, and I have a lot of friends that were watching the French and the German feeds, and they were sharing the exact same feedback that as the race was progressing, uh, obviously, we were counting down the number of laps left. So we had that lengthy break. We got back. We had a rolling start behind a safety car. The race commenced, which was great because I don't think any of us wanted to see the race uh, finish kind of behind a red flag after three completed laps. So the good news is the race gets going and we're all sitting here kind of calculating how how far are we going to be able to get into this race? Because as we all interpret the rules, the regulations, as they were re-engineered after Spa last year, we could determine that a certain set of points would be distributed based on the amount of race distance that's completed. And then when the race is completed, we're like, okay, great. We all knew that Max Verstappen wasn't going to score enough points because they weren't going to award 100% of points. And I'm just going to quickly reference here, Article 6.5 for stipulations of awarded reduced points after a race. So this is from the regulations. I'll kind of skip through this quickly. If a race is suspended in accordance with Article 57 and cannot be resumed, points for each title will be awarded in accordance with the following criteria. So no points will be awarded if the leader has completed less than two points, which is what caused all the anxiety and the frustration after Spa when there was this perception that they'd kind of put in two laps behind a safety car just to get it classified so they could do those 50 points. But basically says if the leader has completed two laps but less than 25% of the scheduled race, points will be awarded in accordance with column one. If the leader has completed 25% but less than 50%, there's a, a higher level of points. And then number E, if the leader has completed 50% but less than 75% of the race, then another set of points would be awarded. And in descending order, it would be um, first place 19 points or 13 points or six points based on any of those three criteria. So we all sat here assuming that that would apply to a race that is completed, that is 
kind of completed after a checkered flag. But the FIA and Liberty interpreted this very differently, which is, no, those scenarios only apply if the race is suspended and is not completed and there is no checkered flag. But nobody from the FIA or nobody from Liberty went to their race broadcasters to Sky, the F1 TV Pro partners, um, or any of their global partners, and actually explained that everybody, for the duration of the race, was misinterpreting the regulation. So we didn't actually find out until after the race, which was a shocking development. And you made a really great point, which was, I actually felt really bad for Max, that the outcome was very different than we had been led to believe. So I misinterpreted the regulations. All of the corporate broadcasters reg- or misinterpreted the regulations. And furthermore, the teams misinterpreted the regulations. Mind-blowing. What were your thoughts on this? Yeah, I felt, um, you know, I, I, it- in the moment, I had to like really take a second look at like, wait, how is this possible? And it it's unbelievable that this perfect storm happened, but it happened. And I I'm still trying to like break it all down in my mind. And you know, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff in racing before, and uh, this this one just it it just took me by surprise. And then I kind of had to think like. You know, there was this outpour of screaming on Twitter and social media. And at the same time, I'm like, well, hold on a second here. And then I had to dig through the regulation. And then Jonathan Noble wrote a great piece, uh, motorsport.com, just essentially explaining everything and how this kind of actually had to transpire the way it transpired. And it got me thinking like, yeah, you know what? I mean, I actually now I feel kind of bad for Max, like to have two world championships kind of wrapped in, you know, the wrapping that it's been put placed in. I mean, he obviously probably doesn't care, but I, I just think when you're going to win a world championship, obviously it's a special moment. So you want that moment to be special where this one just didn't have that, you know, didn't, it just didn't have that special moment, you know, for him. And I think obviously he knew he was going to win the driver's world championship. I mean, we all knew that. We just didn't, we, we've known that for months and months. We just didn't know when it was actually going to be, whether it was going to be in Japan or if whether it was going to be in Austin, Texas. I mean, either way, he was, he was going to win this thing. And it just, it made me feel bad for him that like, the fact is that these, the, the, the way he's won these past two championships and just the, the cloud of sort of almost controversy that things have kind of been wrapped in for him. It's, I think that's got to be hard for him to, to enjoy Hammy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I completely agree. I feel I feel bad for his team. I feel bad for him. And I, I also feel bad for the 200,000 people that were there at Suzuka today that, that shivered through four hours of bone-chilling rain that didn't even know themselves what had happened. And by the time it was... Uh, by the time it was announced, and I guess Max ultimately found out when he was in the cooldown room, half of that crowd had vacated vacated the the circuit, so they didn't get to enjoy or experience or absorb part of that moment themselves, which is really unfortunate. And just just to clarify as well, that that point I made a couple of minutes ago. But if the leader has completed two laps, but less than twenty five percent of the race, uh, the winner would have scored six points in descending order. Second would have been fourth, third would be three, fourth would be two, fifth would be one, and the sixth through tenth place finishers wouldn't have scored any points. If if they finish two, or if they finish between 25 and 50% in descending order, it's 13, 10, 8, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, and 1. And if they complete 50 to 75%, which is what we all yes, thought had 52%. happened, uh, the points awarded would have been 
19, 14, 12, 10, 8, 6, 4, 3, 2, 1. So the big impact would be, of course, to the first place finisher who would have scored 19 instead of 25 points. And of course, the second place finisher that only would have scored 14. So that was the scenario we all thought yes. <laughs> had happened until you, like you said, uh, a banner pops up on the screen announcing Max Verstappen as the Formula One world champion. Yeah, I think, you know, it just caught everyone by surprise. You know, you make a good mention about the fans and, you know, even yourself, like waking up in the morning and being like, wait a second. I watched this race. That didn't happen. Now it's yeah, happened. Yeah, Hold on exactly. a second. So it's really tough. It's really <laughs> tough for Formula One to explain to the fans, like, what's actually gone down here. And, you know, that's got to be tough for, for F1 simply because, you know, you're you're trying, you, you've got this, you've got a massive set of eyeballs on you and your past two championships have been, you know, eh. <laughs> It, it 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 hasn't been the, the the way that normal championships have played out, and there's been some controversy. There's been things off the track, and now all of a sudden you're winning this championship on I guess technicality. So it it's got to be difficult if you're Formula One because you want to make everything look as legit as possible. You want you know the sports cool. You want to make sure it looks cool and is cool and. I think it, 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 and I always said this on my own podcast and on here, like they need to take closer look at the regulations. They need to open up the rule book and they need to go through this rule book and throw things out that probably shouldn't be there anymore and to clean it up. I mean, the rule book in Formula One is thick. And when I say thick, I mean, it's massive. It is a massive rule book. And I think they are going to have to sit down and go through this. They got to try and find a way of uh, simplifying the sport for the average fan who doesn't necessarily tune into every single race and who doesn't follow it as like hardcore as obviously we do. They, because even we get thrown off and we're in it. Like we are like in it. Like even the broadcasters who have followed formula one for decades, even they were caught off by this. So they really need to go through everything with a fine-tooth comb and start eliminating things, reworking it so it's just simpler. You know, if you go and you watch NFL, NBA, NHL, you know, they, it's very descriptive of how things are put out in front of the fans. It's easy to digest. It's it's understandable why a penalty is a penalty and why things are called the way they're called. Within Formula One, it's just layer upon layer upon layer. And sometimes you need a lawyer to like help you even understand what some of the writing even means, you know? Yeah, the thing that's really interesting about this specific rule too is it was reactive in a sense because like we we talked about, you and I talked about this at length last year, the Belgian Grand Prix was, was all, for all intents and purposes, it's a farce. It, it never should have happened. The race should have been canceled. Refund the money to all of the spectators that had made the trek into the Belgian wilderness and just be done with it. But ultimately, they decided to do two laps behind a safety car, which was just enough to get it classified. And they awarded 50% points to all of the drivers that finished in the top 10. But ultimately, that created an absolute hellstorm of negative pressure from the media and fans, and deservedly so. So this rule was created as a reaction to that. And that's what makes this so so unique, is that this one in particular isn't some archaic rule that's been in the sporting regulations because of something that happened in 2007. This is brand new. And the fact that you could incorporate, embed, engineer a new rule, but yet the teams 
and the media themselves didn't understand it to the point that nobody knew what had happened is is shocking. And I was in a Spaces chat earlier today. And my point was like, well, you know what? As the broadcast is going on, and this was a four-hour broadcast for all of us that had sat through it, at some point, the FIA, the FIA should have reached, started reaching out to the broadcast partners and saying, you're misinterpreting this rule. Better educate your listeners. To which somebody justifiably had said, well, really, it should have been Liberty that was monitoring the broadcast and educating the teams and educating the broadcasters on the fly. But despite the fact that this rule is only six months old, has only been in the sporting regulation since I think December or January, nobody understood it, which is shocking. But I also completely agree. And I made the effort earlier this year of reading through the technical regulations and the sporting regulations. And this last week, I read through the financial regulations. There's a lot of dead weight in there, man, that really does not need to be there anymore. And then when you put something new in, you're clearly not doing enough to educate the teams because what we saw here seems pretty fundamental to the rule that, hey, these these different point-paying outcomes only apply if the race is suspended. If the race is concluded behind a checkered flag, it's full points. Like, how simple is that? But they didn't educate anybody on that. Yeah, I think you need to find a way so the average fan, like I said, you know, understands what's going on here and understands the the, the rules um, clearly because there is a there is a lot of them obviously with with F1 and with racing in particular and there's all these gray areas and I think that's what you know you also need to start looking at is cleaning up a lot of those gray areas and so there's a lot of work to be done on that on that front hammy and it's not something that's going to get corrected in a day or a week it's going to take months months and months you're going to have to sit down with the teams you're going to have to sit down with the drivers and you're going to have to start figuring out ways of finding common ground sooner. If we go back to Singapore and you take a look at that penalty that was handed out to, sorry, not penalty, the um, when the stewards called Checo to um, their office to talk to him about being so far behind the safety car. Why couldn't that have been done during the broadcast? Why couldn't that, that, so this is what I'm getting at. It's like, you're going to pull this guy who just won this race into the steward's office. You may change the outcome of the race and your race telecast is going to be off the air. doesn't make sense. I think that needs, that needs, that needs to be worked on, man. Like that, they just need to take a look at it and to see how they can just, uh, do it better and do it faster and make sure there is outcomes being brought out quicker i think for this world championship whoever made the call on that i mean that's a quick call but at the end of the day after you go through everything actually was the right call but it happened fast right it's kind of like well we need to kind of have that happen sooner and get things explained sooner and etc etc I remember a couple of months ago, you and I sat down with Megan Schuster of The Ringer to record a Grand Prix review for the Hungarian Grand Prix. And we were talking about, initially, we were going to do the recording right after the race. And and your point was like, well, put on the brakes. Like In the world that we live in, we can't afford to commit to doing a podcast 30 minutes after a race because the outcome of the race itself might be different by the time we finish recording. And then we post this podcast that is totally out of date. And we shouldn't have to live in a world where we have to let a race breathe for two, four, six hours before we can sit down and and record record a podcast reviewing it. Um, 
my friend, I wanted to I wanted to pivot a little bit, and it wouldn't be a, a Mark Hamilton, Tim Haraney podcast if I didn't make an NBA reference, but bear with me here. In 1988, the upstart young Chicago Bulls lose in the conference semifinals to the Pistons, and then the next year they lose to the Pistons in the conference finals, and then the next year they lose to the Pistons in the finals again. And then in 1991, the year they won 67 games, they break through and they beat the Pistons 4-1 to and they go on to win the NBA championship against the LA Lakers. And then, of course, the floodgates opened and they win six titles. I kind of feel, my friend, I kind of feel now that that's where we might be with Max Verstappen and and Red Bull. And I'm being incredibly complimentary to Max Verstappen, Honda, and that entire Milton Keynes Red Bull squad. But now we look forward and we've got this runway of 2023, 2024, 2025, before the new engine regs hit in 2026. I can't help but think that this could be a period of total domination. What do you think? Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm going to push back on that. Oh, I want to hear this. This guy. Well, we have to take a... Well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, if the cost cap sticks to working... Yeah. Then, you know, then I think things could change. I think we... And I said this on SportsCenter. You know, I was asked, you know, can we see Max Verstappen seven-time world champion? Can we see him with the likes of Schumacher and Hamilton statistically? And I, I said, you know, no, I don't think so. And there are multiple reasons why I don't, I don't think so. And it has nothing to do with Max's talent because he is extremely talented. And I think he is the next great generation of drivers coming through. But the reason I say what I say is because of cost cap, new regulation, the allotted time for CFD and wind tunnel testing that gets applied to teams that are winning championships, and how that takes away massively from their development early in the season. And that's a big thing. We've we saw you 
we'll use Haas as an example. They start the season. You know, what, what was it? Magnuson finished, uh, what was it, fourth or fifth in Bahrain. And consistently is pushing into Q3s, battling for points. But as the season starts to elongate, the field then starts to pull away. Where if this was 2020, they would already be in the back to start everything off. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be pushing in. They wouldn't be pushing into the top of the midfield because they wouldn't have had the CFD time. The CFD time and the wind tunnel time wouldn't have been subtracted from Red Bull, Mercedes, right? And we wouldn't have that start. So now what you're doing is you're taking away the advantage that Red Bull has. You're limiting the spend and you're getting convergence faster. And in the times that we didn't have things like this, convergence took four or five years. You take a look at how convergence has just gone through this season. We had teams showing up to the track with completely different race cars in the middle of the season, dude. And we'll use Aston Martin as a prime example of that. Started the season with a car they didn't like. By the time they got to Spain, they had a car that you know, eerily resembled the two teams at the front. And, you know, that development obviously happens in the wintertime, but for them to even have that opportunity to just develop two cars at the exact same time, dude, that is unheard of with Formula One. Literally, you get one car and you push all your chips into that one car and you're stuck with it for the season. Now, teams are figuring out this regulation uber fast. You have Red Bull that has not much of a not much of a gap of I mean if you take a look at qualifying, what what was the gap between Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen in qualifying? Hundreds. Right? Like hundreds of a second. And the gap between I think it was like first place to Oh boy. I want to say top uh first place to I don't know, top eight, maybe top ten was what almost a second i mean that's not a lot for formula one usually that's a bigger gap than that and so this is why i say what i say when you have teams that are going to be able to converge faster and you factor in the amount of talent that's on the grid now so you're gonna have max verstappen going up against uh charles leclerc carlos Sainz, uh george russell lewis hamilton sergio perez and that's just the top three teams. We're not even factoring in. Uh, you got Ocon, who's solid driver at Alpine. You're going to have his teammate, Pierre Gasly, also solid driver at Alpine. Two fast, experienced drivers who are going to be competing, who have won Grand Prix. So I know this is a long, drawn-out answer but that's why i just believe that the run of dominance that we've seen in formula one i just don't think we're gonna see that anymore like after 2023 2024 2025 like i just don't i just don't see it and i think to be clear to everyone i think what you're saying isn't a sign of disrespect in any way to max verstappen that what you just described is what liberty wants it's what 
the FIA wants. When Liberty bought this product, they looked at what we do in North America. The NBA has a salary cap, competitive balance. The NFL has a salary cap, competitive balance, presumably. Here, look at the NHL, a salary cap. And I think what they saw in Formula One was you had two, maybe three teams that would spend four, five, six hundred million dollars a year and you had teams that were spending under a hundred million dollars and were being forced or deciding to bring on paid drivers to help pad their bottom line so they could put kind of develop some parts throughout the course of a season and they knew that was a broken model and that if they wanted to enhance the the value of the individual teams and the product and show value to their shareholders they needed to bring the pack closer together and with the 2020 concord agreement they did that so new sporting regs new technical regulations and the financial regulations which include the cost cap so i think what you're saying is it might just be bad timing that if max verstappen came along in the 1990s or the 2000s or the 2010s maybe there would have been that opportunity especially if he was aligned with another great For team. Sure. But if the cost cap is effective and the new technical yeah. regulations are effective, we shouldn't see somebody winning five, six, seven championships again. But we'll actually see like a ton of very talented drivers competing hard against each other. And for myself, that's all I want to see, right? Like I, 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 I just want to see the best drivers in the world going toe to toe every single weekend. I made the best driver on that day win. That's what that's what I wanted. That's what I want to see. Uh, and I I think that's what fans want to see too. You know, Hammy. Like I don't think fans just want to see a driver just you know pull away into the distance. Like they want to see the they want to see the battles. They want to see these guys go wheel to wheel with each other. I mean, who wouldn't want to watch that? I think everyone listening at no home probably knows I've I've historically been somewhat partial towards of course Lewis Hamilton and it dawned upon me earlier this year that for those that maybe weren't partial to Mercedes or Lewis, that period of 2014 to 2020 must have been largely unwatchable, man. Like you and I talk about 2014 when Lewis and Nico were lapping up to P5 and even 2015, they decimate the field. In 2016, they decimate the field. That must have been unwatchable. And it's probably no surprise that Gate gates were down across the board globally tv numbers were depressed and it's really only when you start to inject some competitiveness into the sport that you begin to see those numbers rise and of course last year tv numbers were blockbuster uh gates were blockbuster attendance this year has been blockbuster and that's because of the promise of better racing and i agree that even if i was partial towards one driver seeing that one person win five or six championships in a row is admittedly not good for the sport man it's not good for the grassroots it's not good for the broadcast partners it's not good for the race organizers and ultimately it's not good for anybody that that's not the world that we should have to live in and i think the cost cap hopefully is going to to help to flatten that field a little bit how cool did it i mean last year you make a perfect example hammy about you know how it, that f- finished so you had two titans you know going going toe to toe i mean you know how awesome would it be if you had you know four of these incredibly gifted drivers going up against each other you know, into the last two races of the season. Like, how awesome would that be? Right? That'd be like IndyCar stuff. That'd be like IndyCar stuff, right? I mean, you go to IndyCar, the champion for the past, I want to say almost decade, uh, hasn't been crowned until the last race of the season. That's how close and competitive that is, obviously, because they don't have to build their own cars. They all have the same equipment. But... It's incredible racing and to have a 
to see how this thing all kind of shakes out. I mean, you kind of want to you, you want to bring your fan base along with you for the entire season, right? And build those stories and narratives and yeah, it's just great racing, man. And I think uh like 2021 was awesome, right? We can admit that the outcome wasn't the greatest in how everything got dealt with, but the racing up to that point, you know, was compelling stuff. I feel like when I f- reflect back on 2021, especially that period of September, October, November, when Lewis was making that surge to come back at Max Verstappen, it felt like Formula One transcended popular culture, that it was part of just popular kind of consciousness that everybody was talking about it and it felt like formula one was somewhere special of course we go into again regardless of the outcome which wasn't ideal we went into the championship with two drivers even on points like how often has that ever happened in the world of formula one that everything came down to the final race and that's all any of us could ever ask for max verstappen today finishes with 25 points he finishes at the top of the podium. Sergio Perez finishes in second, and I want to move to that conversation now, but he finishes second with 18 points. Charles Leclerc finishes third, finishes on the podium with 15 points. Esteban Ocon, Lewis Hamilton, fourth and fifth, respectively. A fantastic battle with the two of them once the race got resumed. Sebastian Vettel, Great race, ultimately finishes P6 with eight points. Fernando Alonso, P7 with six points. George Russell, P8 with four points. Nicholas Latifi, as his Formula One career winds down, probably an extremely satisfying two points in P9. Lando Norris, P10 with a solitary point. You alluded to the fact that we were going to talk about this a little bit earlier, but one of the reasons that Max was able to clinch a world title today was not because he drove a sensational race, which he did, but rather because Sergio was attacking and attacking and attacking Charles Leclerc as we kind of raced down to the final minutes of this race. What were your thoughts on the battle between the two of them and ultimately the penalty that was applied, that five-second penalty that was applied to Charles immediately post-race for having cut that corner? Uh, the the speed at which that penalty got called was uh, very quick. And I, I kind of have to sit here and think, like, well, why can't all the decisions be made, you know, that quickly? Because that one was made <laughs> real quick. Like, they didn't hear from... They didn't even hear from Charles Leclerc, right? Like, so... It's interesting the statement from the FIA, you know, and they are right in in giving him, I feel, giving him a, a penalty because he did go off the track and he did gain uh, an advantage. So this is from the statement I got from the FIA, which they said, although car 16 did not gain a position by going off track, it was still deemed to have gained a lasting advantage. This determination takes into account the numerous driver briefings, that's important because that's them talking to the drivers, where the race directors advised that an advantage would be considered as having been gained if you go off track and return in the same position whilst defending, which is what he was doing. Because he did squeeze Sergio at the end and... All of the things that are written there, that that's it's a penalty. It it is what it is. And it just just the way it goes, man. I think I think for Leclerc doing the best he can to hold off Perez on the intermediates, and you gotta give um Perez credit because he's had a really tough 
go of things here the past few months. And after Singapore, you know, he showed up here, struggled a little bit, but then in the race, when you needed him the most, he was there. And sure enough, Claire made a mistake, breaks himself and just goes off. Right? Yeah, shades of Canada 2019 when you had Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton battling it out. And of course, uh, Sebastian Vettel ultimately gets the five-second penalty and loses the race win. But in this case, of course, Charles was battling for P2. But I agree that I think it's an appropriate penalty. But what I really appreciated was how quickly, how quickly that penalty yes. came down from yeah, the Yeah, I agree. And, I, and the consistency, right, is what I think all the drivers want. And for the most part this season, you know, the the FIA, like, you know, the race race control has been pretty consistent with how things have been been called. Would you agree? Tim, I want to ask you, just while we're on the conversation of, of kind of the outcome of this race, obviously it was a very wet race. Max wins ultimately by 27.1 seconds or just shy of 27.1 seconds. He's in the clear, so he's not battling spray the way the rest of the field does. You've spent an awful lot of time racing and and you've obviously raced open wheel. You've raced in dry conditions and wet conditions. You know, I think one of the things that's really misleading here is when we see the onboard cameras from these cars, the visibility that we get is significantly better than what the driver's getting when they're sitting in that car behind a halo with their tear-offs on their visor and their visor fogging up. And I've, I've ridden motorbikes in the rain, and I can only tell you that it is one of the most miserable experiences on earth. Talk a little bit about how challenging it is to race an open-wheel racing car in the rain and just how terrible visibility is, because I don't think most people, including me, appreciate what a challenge it was for these drivers today in those conditions there's a couple of things i mean for for the most part if you're starting further in the back and you know when they did the restart on um on this race you know i did i i even said it in the newsroom i was like i'd hate to be kevin magnuson right now you know he's all the way to or lance they were all the way in the mid pack and it's extremely difficult to see at that point because of so many rooster tails that are just coming up because of all the water that's being pulled out of the ground and shot into the air. And so it makes visibility, if you're um, further back in the pack, difficult to see. I mean, if you're running like third or fourth, you can take an alternate line and you can kind of like peek around and have a quick look at something and have some clear space to take a, to take a, take a peek, see if there's anything coming up. If you're further back like that you you don't have that opportunity because every driver's trying to do that <laughs> so it makes things even more challenging and there's more and more spray and you're basically kind of in this fog for the the driver itself when you're in the in the cockpit it's it's uh it's great if you can put rain x on the visor and anti-fog on the inside of the visor those do um those do help a lot the speed at which you know the F1 car goes, I mean, it's it's good enough that it helps clears it, it clears the water away from the visor quite quickly. Um, so it's it's not as bad, but it's worse because of the spray that's in front of you. So if you're on your own doing qualifying laps or whatever, and there's no one in front of you, I mean, you can make that work very easily. But when you're actually in racing conditions, it's extremely difficult. It's very dangerous. I mean, you're literally following the little blinking red lights that are on the car in front of you. And when those lights are gone, you're wondering what just happened because you can't see it. I remember in 
when was it? 2003. I was racing at that point, Formula Renault. And I was a part of the uh, Renault driver development program uh, that puts you into Formula One eventually. And we raced so many races that year in the wet. And the different types of track surfaces, the different scenarios that we were put in, we, we raced in almost a, a, a monsoon one one year and like i was i don't i don't as i never really got on the radio and complained to race control because i always thought that things were in that's an advantage to me if someone is complaining about something i always thought that if someone's complaining about the rain then they're worried about the rain then i'm not going to worry about the rain because they're worried about the rain and i'm gonna like you know play into that so i can you know get an advantage here at some point but I actually had to complain on the radio because I couldn't see couldn't see anything. It was a wall of spray, and you just literally were like, "Oh my god! Like, how am I going to navigate navigate this?" And I remember I was going up. It was at Watkins Glen, and I uh, we were going up the S section of the Glen, and it's uphill and it curves and it snakes and it has water that like runs like a river down it in some spots. And if you hit it at the right angle, the car can aquaplane. And I had never raced there in the wet, so I didn't know that. And I didn't, we never discussed it on a track walk, right? And so I'm coming up this thing, just hauling ass, man. We're doing 180 kph going up this hill almost, and it's flat out. Even in the rain, it was pretty, pretty close to flat out. And I have a driver in front of me. I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember who it was. I, I think it I think it might have been uh, Juan Martin Ponte, who was an Argentinian racing driver. He was an incredible talent, this guy. Anyways, we're going up we're going up this thing. And uh, I'm just in my head, just keeping it planted. But I'm just like, this is not, this isn't good. And hit this patch of water. The car turns 90 degrees. And I'm now facing... Uh, guardrail and I'm looking straight at the guardrail and the car is sliding down the racetrack uh, horizontally and I'm sliding with the wall and the car keeps getting closer and closer to the guardrail head first and at the last second before the car makes contact with the guardrail it catches and we're going back in a straight line and we're racing it again Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I will never forget that because it was at that moment that I thought this is going to be a big one. <laughs> so I remember as soon as the car like went straight and I was like back behind Ponte, I was like, oh my God. And then I'm like, I got to keep racing. So I kept my foot back into it because you got to take your foot off the gas, right? You can't kind of like when you're aquaplaning, there really isn't anything you can do. And uh, you're basically a passenger. You turn the wheel, you're just going to slide a different direction or you're going to hit hard. You kind of just got to let the car just, you just got to let it do its thing and then hope that, you know, you uh, you escape. That's basically it. It's it, it was, I'll never forget it, Hammy, never. Visibility aside, because I think that's something we can all see from the broadcast cameras. 
What's the experience like in the cockpit? You've got an engine behind you, which is producing a ton of heat. You've got the rain coming down. You're sitting in a cockpit. Your seat is probably full of water. Your your shoe, your racing shoes are probably squeaking all over the inside of the car. What is it like inside the car? And how hard is it to actually maneuver the car? Visibility aside. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, it's it's extremely difficult. I mean, it's some of the harshest, you know, sporting environments you can put your body into. I mean, it's like a boxing match in a telephone booth, and it's extremely hard. I mean, in the wet, it's not as uh, physically demanding because the grip isn't that high. Um, and by physically, I mean breaking and turning. Uh, that part of it but physically in terms of bumping around and getting knocked around I mean that's always happening it's um there's so many different things that go into it with the rain you have to make sure that when you get into the cockpit everything is dry within the foot box and your shoes are your racing boots are dry and the pedals are dry because it's different for formula one since they only have brake and gas and that's it when you know the cars i've ever raced in was sequential but we also had the clutch to deal with as well so the footbox was a little bit bigger you had a few more pedals to deal with and the pedals then become a little bit smaller which means your feet can slip off the pedals easier with formula one it's nice because you can your foot's actually kind of stabilized within the footbox and so your feet don't slide off the pedals which is good i mean that's incredible <laughs> and uh i wish i had that when i was racing it would have been extremely helpful um it's it's uh there's so much you're having to to manage right you're managing your own emotions you're managing the stress you're managing the car you're managing the tire you're trying to find uh the most grip on the track and feel that out you're still trying to be one with the car so you're not having to think too much about driving anymore and trying to get yourself into a rhythm and that's so important to try and in the wet to get yourself into a rhythm because once you kind of get into the rhythm, you don't necessarily have to think too, too much about the, the driving aspect that kind of comes naturally because you've kind of figured out where's the grip, where's my braking point, what's going to work, what work doesn't work here, et cetera, et cetera. You get into that, you get into that rhythm and it becomes a little bit easier. But um, getting into that rhythm is a, another story. <laughs> and the reason I ask these questions is because one, I think it's really insightful for everybody sitting at home. None of us who have ever driven a open wheel racing car would understand. So I think you provide some really good insight. But I also wanted to use this as an opportunity to segue to the early part of the race. And we start the race from the grid. We don't have a rolling race or rolling start. We actually start 
at the lights. Uh, we have a, a clean getaway. Um, obviously, Charles Leclerc has a great start. Max Verstappen tears ahead of him, despite the fact that he got a little bit of wheel spin and that you could see this car sliding a little bit to the right. It looked like he was trying to take or kind of cut off the cut off the dry, or the racing line, but ultimately, I think it was a little bit more wheel spin. But early in the race, we have Carlos Sainz aquaplane. He spins takes out the front of the back of this car. He ends up on the edge of the track, quickly becomes a safety car, which becomes which becomes a red flag situation. Before it becomes a red flag situation, though, we see that Pierre Gasly, who's racing and is part of that middle of the pack, ultimately collects some of the hoarding, one of the signage pieces, and destroys his front wing. So he goes into the pit. They swap out his front wing. They tear that hoarding out from the front suspension members of the car, get him cleaned up, put him on wets from the inters, and put him back out there. By the time he gets back out there, there is a recovery vehicle approaching Carlos Sainz's car. And what we saw during the break when the race was ultimately red flagged and everyone came back to the pit was that Pierre Gasly was screaming at the pit wall and he was using some very specific language about his concerns about what had happened. And ultimately, he was penalized because as it turns out, he was speeding and he was given what was originally a drive-through penalty, which was converted to a 20-second time penalty for speeding under red flag conditions. But his point still stands that there was machinery on the track that he couldn't see and wasn't familiar with. Your kind of perspective and, and your sense of this situation, of course, in 2014, we had a horrifying worst outcome situation when a car clipped and hit a piece of recovery machinery. That driver unfortunately lost his life. Of course, in that situation, it was actually a green flag situation. So the race wasn't neutralized. In this situation, the race was neutralized and the vehicle had the right to be out there. But given the conditions, was Pierre Gasly right to be angry? And were other drivers equally as right to be angry about the situation and the threat that that posed to drivers on the track in that moment? 100%. Yep, they have every right to be upset, for sure. And this is definitely going to be a conversation that's going to come up in the next driver's briefing as well. Uh, drivers will are not going to look at this lightly, man. Like, they, the drivers were very upset about this following the race. So, in Singapore, um, during that Grand Prix, a similar situation actually had happened that we didn't actually see on the te- telecast of a recovery vehicle actually trying to come out onto the track while the cars are circulating the race track. And, you know, after Singapore in the driver's briefing, uh, the drivers, you know, made it very clear that there shouldn't be a recovery, you know, truck on the, on the racetrack while the cars are also there. And even if the, the race was neutralized under a safety car or a red flag, but still sort of under the same conditions, you know, there shouldn't be a recovery truck period. And, you know, I agree a hundred percent with the drivers because if you're in these types of conditions, you can't, we'd already explained, you can't really see everything. You can't see well, was Pierre going too fast? Yes, I do feel he was. He, He could have slowed down even more. Um, but at the same time, there should not have been a recovery vehicle out on the racetrack while Pierre was out on the racetrack. And I think it's just something they really need to sit down and work. It's very important because they got lucky that no one got hurt from this situation. And I think this is something, this is a key learning moment for everyone to understand that when there is a red flag or 
under safety car conditions and properly neutralized where everyone is together and and adhering to the, the speed limit or there was a red flag everyone needs to be parked before the recovery vehicle can come out onto the track or you can look at doing things differently look at monaco for instance cranes everywhere and i'm not saying you can just i'm not saying it's easy to just put a crane you know somewhere hammy you know like it's but you can think of something different where it doesn't include a recovery truck having to come out onto the racetrack while a, while a race is going on you know while cars are circulating so I, how do you feel about it because i think that I think there's an opportunity here to to learn from this and to to make things better. Yeah, I completely agree. And and I, it's tough because we were doing a spaces chat earlier and I was talking to a couple of friends, Peter and Marshall, who were actually marshalling at the Montreal Grand Prix this year and do I think pretty much every year and I find that they're really helpful at helping me understand that process of the sport like hey when can a marshal be deployed is it at their discretion or is it at race control's discretion and when does a piece of recovery equipment access the track and i completely agree that in this case it was and i don't know necessarily about assigning blame because i think to your point we got lucky we got incredibly lucky. And if you hear Pierre Gasly during the post-race scrums, he was just speaking to the fact that, quite frankly, I'm lucky to be standing here right now because in different circumstances, I probably wouldn't have been. And of course, I think based on what happened in 2014, and of course, 2014 was the year that Jules Bianchi was involved in a major crash when he collided with a piece of recovery equipment. He he later, of course, lost his life. But I think that is still very fresh to all of the drivers, especially since that happened at this track in similar ultimately similar conditions. So I think the drivers are all sensitive. But again, you and I have talked about this before, that these are the drivers that sign up to go out on the track at 200, 250, 300, 320 kilometers an hour. And they have to have complete trust that when they're doing that, that the FIA is taking every measure possible to secure their safety. And in this case, somebody ultimately made the decision to dispatch that piece of recovery equipment while there was a car that was not with the rest of the pack, because the rest of the pack at that point would have been bunched up by the initial safety car, but had gone to the pits and was speeding in an effort to catch up to the rest of the pack. And of course, he had just, just, just um, discovered that it was a red flag. But ultimately, it's it's horrifying. And I think we're all just incredibly, should be incredibly lucky. And hopefully the FIA, Formula One, and the teams and the Grand Prix Drivers Association get together to discuss scenarios to ensure that this can never happen again. Because it was a small blunder, ultimately, the dispatch of that recovery vehicle that could have had massive and incredibly unfortunate um, negative outcomes. Come. You know, the FIA and you know, Formula One are always really good about safety, which is, you know, it's surprising to see what we saw. But at at the same time, I think they're they're excellent at reacting and putting other things in place to keep everyone safe. I think they do an excellent job of that. I mean, if we see some of the crashes, you know, that have taken place over the past few seasons, you know, there are things that are implemented further into construction of chassis, adding extra safety in certain areas, learning from crashes, uh, and learning from different scenarios. And they do an excellent job at that and implementing new things. And I think, you know, this is like I had said, this will be something that will be looked at. And, and uh, you know, I, I have, I have uh, trust that, you know, the FIA and everybody will do what they need to do because 
they do a good job of that when it comes to um, safety of, of everyone. I mean, think about like the like think about the Zhou Guan Yu accident, and think about the different things that happened in that accident. If you go back and you look through, literally frame by frame, how everything that had happened in that crash saved, you know, Zhou Guan Yu saved some of the drivers around him, but also the, the fans, like the spectators. Like it, it's such a is such a scenario with that accident that that everything that played out was put put in place like safety reason for safety reason everything was was put in place and it and it did it, everything did its job right except for like the obviously the roll hoop structure um that failed but now we have another rule about that for next season so absolutely i think that's the key here is if collectively collaboratively everyone gets together and we find a way to make sure that this doesn't happen then that's a good thing because i think one of the great things about motorsport historically is we've learned from past incidents and i look at the wheel tethers the wheel tethers are there as much to protect other drivers on the track as they are to save Fans, right? We have seen in open wheel racing in the past where a loose tire has killed spectators in the crowd when they managed to clear catch fencing. And again, catch fencing, something that wasn't even that common 20, 25 years ago, is now universally common in every indie track, every NASCAR track, and every Formula One track. So I think there's something to be learned here. And presumably, appropriate processes and protocols will be established to make sure that the next time we're at a Grand Prix circuit, regardless of where it is, we have different protocols about releasing our recovery vehicles and cranes. My friend, a couple of minutes ago, we talked a little bit about the fact that Esteban Ocon and Lewis Hamilton had a fantastic battle in the last few races. Uh, Esteban Ocon qualified P5. He was fantastic during qualifying. He finishes P4, his best race of the season. He continues to put together a really tidy championship. Now, it's a little bit misleading because if you look at the race, if you look at the standings for the season, he's a place ahead of teammate uh, Fernando Alonso. Although I think if you talk to Fernando Alonso, reliability may have cost him 100 points this year. <laughs> or maybe more, but uh, Esteban Ocon, his best finish of the season. What did you think? What did you make of that battle between Esteban Ocon and Lewis Hamilton in the final few laps of the race? It was extremely exciting. You know, just the two of them coming up to 130R every single lap. I'm always like, is Lewis going to try and go around the outside here? In the wet? I, was on the, I was on the edge of my seat with that battle. It was great. I loved every minute of it. Both of those drivers, extremely talented, going at each other. Um, but yeah, good good on Esteban Ocon. I mean, obviously Alpine bringing an upgrade to this to this car back in uh, back in Singapore, and it looks like it's really you know coming into a bit of its own. They're learning from it. Um, but like, I don't think Esteban gets enough credit for just how good he is. Like, I I rate him quite quite high fernando alonso is not an easy teammate to have like we've seen with agreed agreed to the back <laughs> like he's not an easy teammate to have at all and i think Ocon is handling him as best as he can and i think he's doing a very nice job of doing it and i i really i'm, I'm really excited to see racing next season in the season after because it, it's been pretty fantastic like at some point some points it's obviously been a bit of a lull but we've had some pretty good on track you know skirmishes between teams and drivers this season and for me that was a great one 
I, I loved every minute of it. I mean, Ocon couldn't make any mistakes, neither could Lewis, and Ocon had to be perfect coming out of Spoon, which he was. And if he had made one little mistake out of Spoon, it would have been all over for him heading down to 130R. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed that battle a, a lot. I mean, did you see um, Alonso and Vettel, the, the finish line for them? They were, they were like neck and neck, man. It was like, this is like almost photo finish. It was great. Great. Fantastic. Super, super, super great stuff over the course of those last couple of races or a couple last couple of laps. And actually on the Sabat, and that's how a perfect pivot point because after we had that race restart, everyone started on the wets. And I promise we'll wrap this up here because I think we're coming to the end of this podcast. But everyone restarted on the wets. But Sebastian Vettel and Nikki Latifi went into the pits awfully quick to get onto inters. And boy, did that strategy call pay off big time for both of those drivers. Yeah, I talked to him after uh, Nicholas and obviously very uh, happy to finally get some luck go his way. And I think the team... They, you know, they did a great job of calling him in as soon as that race got restarted to put him onto the the uh, intermediate tires and some of the things that people may not know. I mean, I he gets a lot of flack online, and you know he's out there in a car that in this race he had no front tires left, and he also had no brakes, and he still had to wheel this thing around and hold on to ninth place with Lando Norris breathing down his neck and it's not an easy thing to do obviously especially when you're in a Williams he just did a good job I'm happy for him happy he finally got some points this season and doing it in extremely difficult conditions as well yeah that's uh that's a big boost to his confidence for sure because um those were tough conditions man very tough. As we glance at the World Drivers Championship right now, just look at the standings. Max Verstappen, of course, the champion sits at 366. Sergio Perez's teammate is now securely a number two at 253. I shouldn't say securely. He's there by a whisper, but 253 points. Charles Leclerc is number three at 252. George Russell sits at 207. Carlos Sainz at 202. Lewis Hamilton at 180. Lando Norris at 101. Esteban Ocon is at eight with 78 points. Fernando Alonso is at nine with 65 points. And Valtteri Bottas sits in number 10, rounding out the top 10 with 40 six points although unfortunately he hasn't actually scored any points since Canada so it's been an awfully long dry spell for him my friend as we look to wrap this up anything else you want to comment on anything else you want to reflect on looking back at a greatly eventful Japanese Grand Prix weekend first time we've been there since 2019 were you happy to be back at Suzuka 100% I love Suzuka it's great great track great atmosphere the fans are incredible who do you think is going to get second place in this driver's championship you know, <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's a loaded question. If you'd asked me this eight days ago, yeah. If, if you would ask is. me this question eight days ago, based on the, the form that he demonstrated over the preceding seven weeks, there's no way that I would have said Sergio Perez. I would have said Charles Leclerc unquestionably. I, I just feel now that Max has the championship wrapped up. Maybe maybe the strategy calls and some of the decisions around that team changed. To me, if I was to put money on somebody, all of a sudden I shift all of that money to Sergio. I think his confidence has to be sky high after that race win in Singapore. The fact that he did a major solid for his teammate and Max and battled Charles Leclerc in dicey conditions to take that P2 position. Like At this point, I put my money on Sergio, but I'm curious to hear who you would say. Yeah, I, uh, I would as well. I think that's a great assessment because you know, you know, Max isn't going to get preferential treatment exactly. from here on out because they're going to want a one-two, right? Absolutely, in the drivers for sure. Uh, so that puts a lot of pressure on Ferrari, <laughs> especially Charles Leclerc, and uh, 
it'll be interesting to see what Ferrari does. Like, do they do they care about that second place in the driver's standings? I mean, if they do, I mean, do you do you put more of your focus now on Leclerc moving forward in the last four races of the season? Like that, these are questions that uh, that I've been thinking about uh, since last night. So I um. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see, man. I, I'm actually quite surprised that Sergio is second right now in the in the uh, drivers' championship. Man, I didn't think that was going to happen. You know, if you had asked me three weeks ago if I thought Sergio Perez was going to be second in the constructor in the uh, drivers' championships, I would have said no way. And uh, driver market, buddy, Dr- driver market. Oh man, uh, you take it away. I haven't, I haven't, we haven't had what? a podcast since that happened. But there's been some big driver news, my friend. Take it away. Yeah. So, uh, like I said on TSN Racing Pod, I think I was with uh, Michael Bauman, and I kind of gave my uh, predictions on who was was going where. Um, yeah, everything sort of played out the way I had said. But again, I mean. I'd, you know, I kind of had an understanding that this was going to happen anyways, but uh, my main question for all of it is obviously the Williams and the Haas. You know, I, from my understanding, Doralton really wants Logan Sargent in that seat. And so I think Logan will probably end up getting the, the seat at Williams, which is great. I mean, it's going to be great to have an American on the uh, on the F1 grid. And, and Logan is, you know, the, the work that he's put in um, in getting there, he is deserving of it as well. The seat at Haas is going to be the interesting one. Will we see Mick Schumacher off the grid in 2023? I think so. Um, simply because at the end of FP1, like when you saw Mick, you know, crash there, Hammy, you know, they, the 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 driver and the team principal are saying two different things, right? One saying that he crashed for a certain reason, and then the other saying that. He crashed because he's the one who made the mistake, essentially. So that's a that's a bit of a glaring sort of issue there. I don't necessarily think that he's yeah. It's so tough with me. Like I don't feel that he's going to be on the grid in twenty twenty three. I think that seat's going to go to like a Giovinazzi or, or Hulkenberg. But I mean, I will see. Do I want to see Mick off the grid? I mean, here's my thing with it. I think that. Every Grand Prix driver should be given at least three years to show whether or not that that's usually what you need. Like three years in F1, you're either going to know whether or not they belong or they don't. Right. So he's only in year two. Yeah. And and Tim, I would argue that this is really year one for him. If you look at just how broken and dysfunctional that team was last year with with the, the reliance on oligarch Russian money and just how horrendous that car was, that, that, that car that they ran last year was basically a leftover 2020, which was itself a leftover 2019. And the organization was hugely dysfunctional that to me, this has really been his rookie year. And obviously being partnered with Mazepan, you're partnered with a driver whose data is meaningless because they're an inferior driver to you as 
as a rookie and that this was the first year he could actually sit down and see data and telemetry coming off an established Formula One driver. But ultimately, if he loses his seat, um, it's unfortunate because I think all of us would have loved to have seen that that fairy tale story of him becoming a successful driver and winning races in the vein course of his seven times world champion father. But maybe that's not going to happen. And then the other big news story, too, is that Daniel Ricciardo has all but conceded he won't be racing next year. Maybe there'll be an opportunity for him to be a test driver with Mercedes. And I think we it goes without saying that, of course, um, it's been announced at least since the last time that the Scuderia F1 podcast is broadcast that Pierre Gasly is going to go to Alpine. He'll be partnered with fellow Frenchman Esteban Ocon. Of course, those two have some some history together, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And Nick DeVries, who, of course, had that, that strong result scoring P9 and two points a couple of races ago, is going to go to AlphaTauri to be partnered with Yuki Sonoda. So at this point, it's, yeah, Williams is probably going to go with Logan Sargent, um, which, of course, would be a boon to the American fan base. And then it's just now a matter of that hoss seat. hundred mm-hmm. percent. I mean, the stuff with Ricardo kind of knew about it a while ago, you know, basically once Alpine kind of had made mention that they're looking for speed experience, youth kind of doesn't really go towards Ricardo's favor. And I think like a lot of the teams feel that he's kind of, you know, they never said this, but damaged goods, but I think, like, for Danny Ricardo, like, to go to Mercedes, I mean, as a reserve driver, I don't know if I would do that. Simply because, like, when Total Wolf says that, you know, Lewis Hamilton tells him he feels like he has five more years left in him, like, I don't want to hear that if I'm the reserve driver at Mercedes, right? Like, I don't want to hear that at all. Like, I want to hear that he's got one more year left and my butt's going to be the one in that seat in 2024 or 2025. So I just don't, I don't think that's a great option for him. Like, sure. It's good to go to Mercedes and do whatever, but at the end of the day, I mean, are you going to be able to slide in there when Lewis leaves five years later? I mean, Ricardo's going to be old as well. Like, will he even want to keep racing at that point? Probably not. So I, I just think there's going to be a lot of movement in 2024. If he can find a team where he can get some good seat time, good simulator time, stay in the public eye, I think he could have a chance at coming back for for 2024. My friend, I think uh, I think we've run the course of this uh, this podcast. Any final any final comments? Any final words before we wrap this one up? No, I mean head on over to Spotify. Uh, if you can give TSN Racing Pod a five star. Uh, rating and a follow that would be much appreciated same with apple Podcasts. you could write a review game give us a give us a subscription as well as uh give us a rating that would that would help us really grow the pod and we'd really appreciate it if you want more from me you can get me on social media at tim haraney cool fantastic and uh same goes for us as well if you like what you hear if you love the show if you like the work that we do with tim haraney and all of the various guests that we bring on if you give us a rating on spotify it means the world to us um if you could pop over to apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review or a rating or a review whatever works for you it means the world to both myself and mr daly uh 
so on behalf, I think, of the Scuderia F1 podcast, this has been a collaboration with Tim Haraney of the TSN Racing Pod. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course, we'll be back later this week for our weekly news roundup. We're going to be dropping an interview later next week with a special surprise guest. And then, of course, a couple weeks from now, we'll be back to review the Austin Grand Prix, where we're expecting crowds in excess of 420,000 people because they've added additional grandstands. I will be there. And Tim Haraney's going to be there. Fantastic. Yes, sir. Once again, thanks so much for joining us. We'll speak to you again soon. Bye for now.